A story of uh, David's life. Thank you for that. God sees the heart, doesn't he? We look on the outward appearance. We consider all the uh, usual criteria, but God looks on the heart. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. It is a passage that I read last week as I introduced this man, Paul, in our discussion of Too Soon to Quit. And I'll come back to that passage here this morning just to remind us who Paul is in, uh, in just a moment. We'll soon be turning our attention to uh, a new missionary for this year, the opportunity to be involved with faith, faith promise giving for missions this year. And that becomes a very specific part of our sort of process of budgeting and just some, put, putting everything in place to take on one new missionary a year, a simple thing that we've done but over the years, it's held us in good stead, and even as we have retired missionaries, we're able to take on sometimes another, and we have another retired missionary this year. And so it keeps us moving forward rather than seeing how we might be able to save money or cut back in this time of uh, economic uh, trouble that we sometimes find ourselves in. So I'll come back to that, and, uh, and, and this message kind of, in my mind, kind of put together some of the thoughts of what it means to be a servant of God, or you could say a missionary, some will argue that we're all missionaries, but most of us think of that as a as sort of a vocation somewhere else, and so that might not spark your interest. But all of us are servants of God. All of us should be followers of Christ. Well, the British East India Company said of sending missionaries to India, it's the maddest, most expensive, most unwarranted project that was ever proposed by a lunatic enthusiast. And for a time, they seemed correct. But a century later, their leadership commented, Christian missionaries have done more lasting good to the people of India than all other agencies combined. See, when you do something simply for the passion of it, something that you would not otherwise do, something that would not otherwise be expected within the normal circumstances of life, then people are likely to call you crazy. When you got up this morning to come to church, your neighbors may have thought, now they don't say it perhaps, but they may have thought, what a waste. And they settled into their morning newspaper, second cup of coffee or something else. When you talk about giving to your church, when you talk about coming back on Sunday nights, when you talk about the, the fanatical idea of, oh yeah, I go on Wednesdays too and I help in the Iwana program, and they'll look at you like, why do you bother? What a waste of time. And so it is, for the sake of sanity, men choose this sort of path of least resistance, the safer choices, the more normal choices, the things that sound more natural and fit in with society's expectations. But if living within these sort of benign borders of, of human expectation, if that's where your existence is, and you're living a life that is more sane, more safe, and you leave all that other stuff to, I suppose, the insane people. But then I begin to ask myself the questions, if that's where I find my existence, then do I really have a life worth living at all? And so you get up Monday morning, and you go to work again for no greater purpose than to pay the bills for the stuff you want. Is that where you exist? Well, this becomes the great 
catch-22 of life. When we give in to the safer choices of the world and we begin to live for no greater purpose than to secure our existence and to prepare for retirement. Wow, that's exciting. But Jesus warned, he that would find his life, that is in this world, make your way in this world, you end up losing it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same will find it. And so that whole um, thing about the first to be last, the last to be first, that whole catch-22 thing. And so it is, the one who would seek the safer, more secure life on earth, Jesus said you'll, you'll lose it all. But the one who would sever the ties of all the more secure things, you begin to find it what it's really about. You see, it was crazy for Abraham when he was tried to offer up Isaac on an altar, his only begotten son. It was insane for Moses to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. It was a foolish plan for Joshua to lead those Israelites around the city of Jericho seven days. What would that accomplish? And it was ridiculous for Gideon to tell his warriors, after having pared them all down, to lay down their spears and pick up trumpets and candles. What was that about? Faith expressed often only appears as foolishness to the world. And people won't understand. Why would such a lovely couple go off to a place like that? Why would my daughter go off to a place like that? Why would we let them? Why would we even encourage it? Why? Well, to be a follower of Christ is, in fact, to be a fool in the world's eyes. I don't want to press the point too far, but I would just ask you this. When's the last time you were considered to be a fool in the eyes of your neighbors or the eyes of an unsaved friend or an unsaved family member? Some of you get that, right? When's the last time you were considered to be a fool? And by the way, if you, if you haven't, you know, maybe you're just living that very safe, sane life. Are you willing to be called a fool? Are you willing to step out, express your faith in ways that people will not understand? See, when Paul described himself as a follower of Christ in 2 Corinthians, it's exactly what he said. I speak as a fool. I appear to be out of my mind. By the way, it's a word used, this word fool is used only one time in the entire Bible. It comes from two words, para, out of, friend, or friend, your mind, out of your mind, that's what Paul said, I, I appear to be out of my mind for Christ, contrary to every other safe consideration. Call me a fool, to do what no reasonable man would require of me, but to lose myself in the work of the Lord is in fact to find a greater purpose for all that I do. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 16, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, guess what happens? You lose. But whoever will lose his life or give his life, you find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world but lose what? His own soul. Or what wouldn't any of us give in exchange for our soul? So now we're at 2 Corinthians to consider this man, Paul, that we're studying on Sunday nights just last week and tonight. In this theme of too soon to quit, we won't get into that today. But what, what was it about Paul 
that made him so passionate uh, as a follower of Christ. And so I'll give you a few things this morning. But let's just remind ourselves who Paul is. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And they, are they ministers? He's comparing himself to others. Are they ministers of Christ? Well, I speak as a fool. I must be. I'm in labor, more, more labors, more abundant, in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequently, in deaths often. That is, he didn't die often, but in that, in that threat of death. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings offing, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. You get the idea? In perils at sea, perils among false brethren. In weariness, painfulness, verse 27, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. And beside those things, we'll come to this verse tonight, not this morning, but tonight we will. And besides those things, if that's not bad enough, notice what he says is even worse. Read that for yourself and come back tonight. It is foolishness to live like this, to put yourself in a situation like this, as a follower of Christ. Paul said, I bore physically in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were physical marks, but there were also spiritual marks. Less, less noticed, perhaps, but spiritual marks that every follower of Christ must bear. And that's what I'll give you this morning. Seven of them, if you're counting down the time, I'll give you seven. No notes in your bulletin. And... Uh, Hopefully you'll follow along. Philippians, if you would, the book of Philippians, over a few pages, Philippians chapter 1. You know verse 21, Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1, verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. So the, all these circumstances, but I know this will turn to my salvation through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I'll be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now, also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so I put in my notes the words, totally surrendered. Totally surrendered. You're not holding anything back. For to me, to live is Christ... And the worst thing that can happen, that's even gain. See, to the world, death is the final enemy of all things that are important to them. I mean, I just bought this. I just invested in this. I just found this. Like the fellow that went to the, you know, he put all his, uh, his things in order. You know, he bought the life insurance policy. Got all his uh, financial affairs in order. Got all that done. Then to celebrate, he goes out, remember, for the Chinese dinner? Opens up his little fortune cookie, recent investment, pays big dividends. So now he's thinking about that life insurance that he just bought, and now it's going to be paying off. You know, and, and we're living to die. But all of this we will soon lose. Paul was confident and willing rather that he would be absent from this body and soon be present with the Lord. In fact, all of us must live our life in such a way that we realize that at any moment, at any turn of events, we could be present with the Lord. Now, you might be choosing a safer 
uh, situation in life where you think you'll live to be whatever, but you have no guarantee of that. I mean, every time you get behind a wheel, that's one of the dangerous, most dangerous places you can be. And so it was his desire, Paul's desire above life itself to be present with the Lord. Consequently, life, this life became more meaningful, not less, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we henceforth or from now on would no longer serve sin. So I'm no longer enslaved to the stuff of this world. I don't have to satisfy those desires. Crucifixion, by the way, is the one modus operandi or the one means of death that cannot be self-inflicted. We have to surrender ourselves to it. Crucified with Christ, you can't, you can't inflict this. You can't, you can't do this. This isn't a suicide mission, but we embrace the cross and we take up our cross and we allow ourselves to be hung on a cross for Christ or with Christ, literally. I'm crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so now the life I live by the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm in the flesh and yet not living by the flesh, but of Christ, totally surrendered. A follower of Christ is totally surrendered. Number one, a follower of Christ is also, number two, personally committed. Second Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, 2 Timothy 1, 12, for the which cause, I'm totally committed to this, and for the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. There is nothing in this world to which you can commit yourself that you know it will return for certain a great dividend. Nothing. But Paul said, I'm certain of this, that that which I have committed, my life, my purpose, my goals, my desire, that which I've committed to him will return a great dividend one day, personally committed to it. Although the servant of Jesus Christ may appear a fool to the world, we do in fact Stand on firm ground. And when I stand on that day, and all of us will, when I stand on that day to give an account of my soul, I will not be ashamed. And so we know that we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in our body according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad. And so I want nothing that would distract me from God's perfect purpose in my life. You realize, if you haven't realized it yet, you will, but you realize, some of you have come to painfully realize that the more you have, the more frustration you have with it, the more distraction you have with it, the less likely, not the more likely, the less likely you are to serve God. Now there's something to think about. We always thought, well, if I could just have this, if I could just turn the corner on that, if I could just do that, then I'll be able to serve the Lord. And you know what happens? We become obligated to this, that, and the other, and less likely, not more, less likely to be committed to Christ. Which is why Paul said, I count all these things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Philippians 3. 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and not mine own righteousness, which is by the law, that is my works, what I can do, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Personally committed to Christ and knowledge of the holy is the ultimate purpose of everything Paul did. It is the mission of the follower of Christ. It must be our goal that I may know him. When's the last time you made a purchase that helped you know God more? When's the last time you invested anything for the cause of Christ? Not just dropping a dollar in the offering. Something. Remember, as it says now, I forget who said it, but I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing, right? Some of you are now filling in the blanks. Thank you for that. But when's the last time you offered to Christ something that actually cost you in commitment to him? Well, the follower of Christ is also, and number three now, prayerfully earnest, prayerfully earnest, and for that in Galatians chapter Galatians chapter uh, 6 and verse 9. Galatians 6, 9. Let me get back to it. Galatians 6 and verse 9. And you may first ask yourself the question, what's the connection here? But I say the, the, the title, prayerfully earnest... Now look at what Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. So you're committed to Christ. You're living your life for Christ. Well, don't be weary. Don't give up now. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. What's the connection to being prayerfully earnest? Remember what Jesus said? Men ought always to pray and not faint. How do you keep from being weary and well-doing? Prayerfully earnest. Without prayer, the servant of Jesus Christ becomes faint-hearted. That's why we pray for our missionaries. It makes a difference. It may make no other difference than changing your heart about missions, but it also makes a difference, I believe, in the life of these missionaries. You know, the others are lifting up their, their hands before God. Without prayer, the servant of Jesus Christ becomes faint-hearted, weak, and weary. Tradition says that James, the apostle, had calloused knees from prayer. One wrote, he had knees like that of a camel. And so from his experience, he writes, James 5, 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And by the way, a righteous man does not mean that you're so good that you can do that, but I can't. No, we stand righteous, declared holy before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you righteous? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? Do you stand before him? Of course, we know that sin does block our communication with God. But on the grounds of the righteousness of God, clothed in his righteousness alone, I stand before that throne. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer must always be the first disposition of our heart. Prayer, not panic. When circumstances don't go your way, you don't know the answer, you're not sure where to turn, and you first, what? Panic? No. 
you first pray. See, we tend to launch into life with the afterthought of prayer. We make our plans, we decide what we're going to do, we head forward to it, and then we say, and God, will you bless my plans? No, first pray, then plan. So I tell the men on the board all the time, and, and in full agreement, we pray first to ask the Lord if this is what we should do, because then we know that we have the petitions we desire of him, the budget and all that other stuff. That'll all work out. It'll, it'll come together if we're certain that what we are doing is what God has called us to. That's what missionaries do. Before they'd launch off to a place like that, before they'd sell their house, they're orphans now, by the way. That's why they're with us. They've sold their house and get their mail probably at somebody else's place, right? Uh, That's why they can do that, because they are certain that God has called them to this. A servant of Jesus Christ must be prayerfully earnest in all that they do. But once this assurance comes, once you are sure this is what God has called you to do, he's burdened you to do it, you might feel this sometimes, you know, you're praying for a missionary and you say, and you say well, um, you, you suddenly get a sense that maybe the Lord wants you to give a little something extra. Man, I could do that. And then, you know what you do next? Lord, are you sure? <laughs> and don't tell me you've never said that. You have said that. I know you have. I have too. But Lord, are you sure? How many ways does he have to answer it? Prayerfully earnest, and once we know that we have these petitions we've desired, get up off your knees. And number four is to be watchfully busy, watchfully alert, watchfully busy. For that, I turn to Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. So I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Father, Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the living and the dead is appearing. Preach the word, Timothy, verse 2. Be instant in season, out of season. When it's convenient, not convenient. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Well, that sounds good. Sounds clever. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and my time of departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And by the way, not to me only, but unto all them also that long for, love, look for his appearing. Take great care that you speak no more than Christ has said, but be careful that you speak no less. Watch thou in all things, level-headed, Balance to your ministry. Watch to thy work. Watch to your loving kindness. Well, this watchfulness is a seeking for opportunity. It is living with expectation that God is going to work. And where he does work, where a door is open, where a conversation does turn, where a circumstance is open, that you are ready to walk and enter into that conversation for the cause of Christ. Speak on his behalf. 
for Christ. Watchfully busy, knowing that a door may open, an opportunity, and you're ready to take it. You've walked away from circumstances, just as I have, where you have thought, oh, I wish I had said, I wish I had done. Perhaps we say, I wish I hadn't said that. But I wish I'd have thought to say it. I wish I'd have considered. And, and we weren't watchful. By the way, be also watchful because as you enter into those circumstances, you know that your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, he's also walking about watchfully seeking whom he may devour. Follower of Christ must be focused and determined against the hardship that easily discourages the one who has let down their guard. A disciple must operate with a sense of urgency, a passion about his life and work. Be watchfully busy in everything against the backdrop of eternal things, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, follower of Christ is also zealously burdened. Number five, zealously burdened. You're zealous about it. You're excited about it. Zealously burdened. That is to say, go out with the same commission. You go out of this place with the same commission that brought Christ from heaven down to earth. What was that? To seek and to save those who are lost. That's why Christ came, and that's why we go. We call it the Great Commission. You can look it up, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You go, you make disciples, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, baptizing them. We go to make disciples, making disciples, burdened for the same thing that burdens the heart of God. That's why I can promote missions and missionaries. And we can talk about faith promise, talk about taking on a new missionary. I can talk about those things without any reservation, without any apology. Because I know that that is the one thing that God has declared I will bless. I know he will. So we find faithful young men and women in whom we can invest ourselves, partner with them, and send them, see what God can do. When was the last time your heart was burdened for the thing that breaks the heart of God? You say, well, we have a few months yet, and oh, that'll take time, and we'll see to it another day. But Christ said, lift up your eyes and look onto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. We don't have time. To know that of all other things which I may do or say, none is more important than telling others about Jesus Christ. Well, with this burden upon our heart, the follower of Christ is unashamedly, unashamedly identified with Christ. You're not one of those zealots, are you? You're not one of those Christians, are you? And then we begin to be identified that way. Paul said, Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To all them that believe, the Jew first, also the Greek, to be identified with what the world is likely to call foolish. The Jews in particular see as a stumbling block. This couldn't be the Messiah. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us it is the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1. So any effort that we undertake which fails to identify ourselves in some way with the gospel of Christ is powerless to effect change. We must not fail to identify ourselves with the purpose for which Christ has come, lest we appear in the wisdom of man, which itself, by the way, becomes a distraction. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us about that. When you begin to try to be clever with your arguments, 
You try to couch it in such a way you think, well, this would be more palatable. My friends, you, you are actually creating a distraction. Because what people will do is they now argue with you. But if you just give the word of God, you just give the simple truth, it will appear foolishness, but there's no argument with that. There it is. You accept it or you don't. So if you try to get too clever with it, then you become part of the argument process. And I don't know that too many people are won by that. Not fail to identify ourselves with Christ. John said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. There's an identifying mark. Our identification with Christ is not just Sunday sermons. It's not just a, a, a Wednesday, you know, a WANA program, but it's how we live the manner of our life on Monday and the winsomeness of our walk throughout the week as the old cobbler, shoemaker, then turned evangelist, D.L. Moody said, every Bible ought to be bound in shoe leather. Pretty good thinking on that. See, the Bible isn't just to be laid on a shelf. It's to be lived out through the lives of those who are unashamedly identified with Christ. Well, perhaps the most important characteristic of the follower of Christ, number seven, that they be faithfully consistent. Faithfully, moreover, is required in stewards that man be found what? Faithful. Faithfully consistent to the end. The only way to do this is to live life with anticipation of Christ's soon return. See, as long as you keep thinking, well, another day, another time, another, not today, as long as you keep thinking that and you forget that Christ could come today, you will likely, you will likely quit too soon, as we talk about on Sunday nights. You'll let down your guard. You'll be more into the safe, sane decisions of life. And so you see what Paul wrote, if you're still in 2 Timothy chapter 4, down in verse 7 where he says, I fought that good fight, I finished my course. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that love his appearing. Do you love, look for, long for the appearing of Christ? When asked of the faithfulness of his life, one missionary said, I never lay my pillow on the head, or I never lay my head on the pillow at night, but what I think the final day has dawned. The only way to finish well is to consider that each day may begin eternity. John said, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. To say that you look for the coming of Christ and then you don't live for him up until that day is what Matthew Henry calls the hope of hypocrites. You say you have a hope. You say it is heaven. You say it is eternal. You say it is for all who believe. And then you don't live for him. It is the hope of hypocrites. Never forsake the calling upon your life as the manner of some is. And consider it, carefully consider it so much the more as you see this day approaching only make your calling and election sure. Know that this is what God has called you to. I have not command, or have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? Joshua wrote, Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I don't know if you've realized it yet. Some of you do. You know this. The safest place to be is in the Lord's will. 
When you know God is with you, only make your calling and election sure. And so I can send off our young missionaries to the farthest corner of the world, place in Africa. I can allow my daughter to go to Bangladesh when others say, well, how foolish that is. And believe me, there are times when I want to reach out and just bring her home. Enough already, right? But we always return to that point where God called us. God spoke to us. God brought us to this place. And until God changes his mind, then you stay faithful in that thing. And you give yourself to that. Your daughter in, in Greece, other missionaries you've known, why do they go out to such, why so far, couldn't they have just been a little closer to home? The safest place to be is in the will and plan of God. Do you know God's will in your life? God's plan for you? Committed to it? Do you even know Jesus Christ, God? Do you know God through his son, Jesus Christ? The only way you get there, not by good works, not by giving yourself in such sacrifice of missions, but do you know God through his son, Jesus Christ? A successful surgeon, Dr. Percival, he forbade his daughter. He said, I will not let you go. Her name was Kitty. He thought she would be throwing away her life on the mission field in China, saying, I want you never to leave my sight. Kitty dismissed her dream, lived quite a normal, safe life, absent of the passion for eternal things. Dr. Percival was later stricken with blindness. And guess what? He never again saw, laid eyes on his lovely daughter, Kitty or those grandchildren that he wanted to keep so close to home. So whether it's my daughter, your daughter, our missionaries, others, to know and say that with Peter, wherefore rather give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you know these things, you will never fail. Are you standing in the way of your children? Remember what we said last Sunday night, the church of Jesus Christ is just one generation away from closing its doors. Are you standing in the way of your children? Have you committed your life in other ways that you can no longer now give as you once thought you wanted to give? Are you so very busy doing an extra thing that you can no longer serve as you once thought you would? Have you just dismissed the thought that you would ever serve God? Have you ever surrendered the control of your life to Jesus Christ? I trust that you have. If you haven't, the invitation for you is to say, I, I, I want salvation. I want to be saved. I want to know this. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I've been living for myself long enough. But the eyes I'm looking into, for the most part, I think are people that are saved. Are you living your life in such a way that you have something to give? Do you? Will you give it? Shall we pray? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the message of Paul's life. What a great testimony of commitment, of identification, of surrender, sacrifice, of foolishness in the eyes of the world. I don't long to be called a fool. I don't want to do stupid things. But Lord may, the Lord, may the world look upon us with a little 
strangeness that I not too carefully identify with the world, but clearly identify with Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. And amen. Take your hymnals, if you would, just a hymn of closing.